Welcome to Rest and Awaken Podcast. Only able to access those things because she has money. Yeah. Accessibility therapy just makes me absolutely, the whole system makes me absolutely insane. Um, Join us with Dr. Colleen and Dr. Natalie. You were thinking about something I had written in a newsletter? Yes. Let's put more energy or thought into, are we creating anti-racist outcomes? Get ready for thought-provoking conversations about real-life experiences that will empower you to explore different perspectives and live life to the fullest, right here on Rest and Awaken Podcast. Here we go. (laughs) Yeah. Good morning. How are you? I'm pretty good. It's good to see your smiling face. Yeah, you too. I just, I I wish we could do these more often. I, I know, like, there's no urgency and we can be paced, um, but it is, it's exciting. It's fun. It really is. Yeah. It's really good to be in conversation. Same, same. Um, yeah. Where do we want to start? Well, you were saying that you were, you were thinking about something I had written in a newsletter. Yes. You wrote, and it just, it spoke to my soul, um, something along the lines of, and if you remember the exact wording, feel free to uh, correct me, but something along the lines of, instead of spending so much energy focusing on how can we be more anti-racist as individuals, let's put more energy or thought into, are we creating anti-racist outcomes? Mm -hmm. Um, And I just... I love that so much. And that makes me think of taking the onus away from individuals and placing it more on systems. And how do we as an individual create systems that are good for everybody that promote collective liberation? Um, And that's, that feels really exciting and inspiring to me. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. One of the things I've been thinking about a lot, and I feel like part of it is my journey over the last year. I was very much a person who like did anti-racism education from uh, changing hearts and minds. Mm. Like, how do I get people to like care more and to think more and to have less apathy? And then um, I was reading um, Lily Zhang, who is this non-binary um, Asian American. Uh, DEI person, and they talk a lot about outcomes, DEI outcomes. And um, it took a while for me to be swayed because in my mind, it would be like both. And and yet, what does it matter if I like think anti-racist, but if I'm doing nothing, right? If the systems don't change, if the culture doesn't change, if there's still great disparity, what does it matter if my heart and mind is changed, if my behavior isn't changed? And then that made me think of like, individual ways we can like build and like Resma Menicum talks about like building an anti-racist life mm-hmm. like anti-racist culture embodying that so thinking about like joy right yes right like that that and not in a materialistic egocentric kind of joy but like just pure joy mm-hmm. um and like how like I I think particularly like black joy queer joy like neurodivergent joy like people who come from marginalized groups if they can experience joy then that is anti-racist outcomes to me right because the system doesn't want the marginalized people to have joy um and so yeah I've been thinking a lot about how to do that and like one of the things I've been talking to you about is making the decision to switch from being fully self-employed, which I've been doing the last three years to going back to working in a system. And I've chosen to go work in a predominantly white institution that which I'll start later this month. 
And it was such a uh, part of that was realizing I wasn't experiencing joy anymore from anti-racist education. Mm. And, and so then it was like, I know that this is important, but if I'm not experiencing joy anymore in it, is there a way that I can create anti-racist outcomes in a different way? Can I bring that into a system, into a campus, uh, into a team where it's really about how do we collectively like make this university campus better for our students, for our faculty, for our staff? Like how do we breathe and like live into anti-racism versus it being this theoretical thing? Mm -hmm. um, and I feel like for me, that was the awakening of like the last six months or so mm. was this doesn't work for me anymore. Mm -hmm. My values are still the same, but the way that I'm living into it doesn't have the same joy for me anymore. Not to say that everything should be joyful, no. um, but like it also shouldn't be rageful in the ways that it had become. Yeah. Or so arduous, right? Like, and I, I think, yeah, uh, different different process and different issues, obviously, because I'm white. But over the last year, probably since January, we've been really thinking hard at my organization at CCBH about how we're how we're doing anti-racism. And when we started to really deliberately do the work, it was not joyful, <laughs> right? It was hard but it felt deeply meaningful. And it felt like it did feel like changing hearts and minds and, and excavating a bunch of st the shadowy stuff that had not been explored. It felt deeply meaningful. Mm -hmm. And then, and then it got all twisty where it started to feel like a bunch of really well-meaning white people tearing each other down or like mm -hmm. trying to one-up each other in terms of mm -hmm. wokeness it just started to get really weird. And, and when I read your sentence about creating anti-racist outcomes, I'm like, that, that's what we need to do. Like less talking, there's a place for talking, right? Multiple yeah, truths, yeah, right? Absolutely. There's a place yeah. for talking. There's a place for exploration. There's a place for excavation, but the, the place in my journey that I'm in right now is one where I want to find joy in creating systems that create equity, right? Mm -hmm. And I feel like when we create systems that create accessibility, equity, inclusion, when we've got systems that are doing that, that's the foundation for joy, mm -hmm. right? Because how can we, you know, move up on like Maslow's hierarchy mm -hmm. when, when the basics aren't being met in a meaningful way? And so- yeah. That's and to figure out what's my role in that in a way that brings me joy. And it's not about me. I can already hear it. It's not about me. Of course, it's not about me or my joy or whatever. But like, that's the only way that I get to do this work in a genuine way. It's not for like white allyship brownie points. Yeah. So I've got to find something that feels authentic and genuine and sparks joy. Otherwise, I'm going to be in and out of it. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting as uh, I was on LinkedIn and somebody there wrote about how getting input from staff or employees is um, 
not that helpful. I saw that post, Natalie. And right. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, that implies a certain level of safety or bravery for the person to give you like real feedback yeah. because of that power differential. And so rather it's like, how do, how do we give people agency to Ooh. be able to remove uh, to be able to do what they need to do for themselves, to yes! be able to thrive, right? And I think about younger versions of myself who were, who liked to be in control, right? Um, who would have had a hard time yielding, um, yielding control and sharing power in order to create that environment. I feel like I'm much better suited to that now. But when we talk about like disrupting systems of oppression, like, you know, white professionalism, mm. that it becomes hard, I think, for bosses to be able to share power yield control, right? Like as long as the outcome is the work gets done, right? right, And it's the person is living into the values of the company, then do we need to be micromanaging or not even micromanaging? Do we need to have as many like systems, whatever put into place? Like, I think we need systems, but when I see some entrepreneurs, like some of the ways they talk, it's like, Ooh, it's like, a, it's, it's a little intense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, where is there room for the employee to like grow into it and make it their own versus them? Um, like, just like working within our confines. God, that is such a good point and speaks to the journey, right. And where you are on your, on your journey, I, I can see myself so, so much in what you just said in the beginning phases of it and everything needs to be structured and we need policies and procedures and press and do, you know, whatever. Right. Um, and you're right. There's been a letting go of all of that. That's been hard to do because the, the part of me that is a people pleaser or worries about being perceived as moving away from anti-racism or collective liberation is like worried mm -hmm. that by removing all this structure around how we do this work as a team, that like people are going to think that I'm not, that I'm like moving away or I'm taking the easy road or whatever. And to just let go of how I'm being perceived and move in the world in a way that feels really aligned for me, perceptions be damned. Um, huh, it's so, it's so, I feel, I can feel that in my body. It is just right. so, it's so freeing to just walk in an aligned way rather than walk in the way I think I ought to be walking in order for people to receive the way that I'm walking in a positive way. Oh, right. yeah. That is bad news. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's a slightly different topic. I was thinking about a conversation we had maybe a couple of weeks ago, where I think I was saying that I was had read this book called All the White Friends I Couldn't Keep. Mm -hmm. And so I've been, it's been percolating in me as like some stuff has been going on with like my husband, Chris's family. So like the white side and, um, and so the part of me that doesn't like to do absolutes, like doesn't like to write people off, doesn't like to like make these like bold proclamations. And so I've been thinking about, because um, I have a lot of white friends, right? And and they're all in different places of this journey of anti-racism, right? And would I love to be surrounded by people who were all like 100% committed to anti-racism in their own ways? Yes. But is, is that realistic 
only if I made my world like really, really small. Teeny tiny. Yeah. And so I think what I've been thinking about is like, I think I only have um, so much room for people I don't perceive as doing anti-racism work, right? Like beyond the not racist work. And that feel like when I say that out loud, that feels like calming in my body, right? It's like, there are people who have been in my life a really long time and like they, they are able to be there because they don't cause me harm, even though they're not actively trying to be anti-racist, mm. right? And, and when they start to cause me harm and they're not willing to take a look at like, maybe this has something to do with like anti-blackness or anti-queerness or something, then I'm like, well, then you've kind of moved because now you're taking energy from my life that I could be using for something else. Yes. And, um, and so like, that's been helpful for me. And even to talk to Chris about it, to like unpack for him as a white guy, um, like the ways I need him to show up with those white people because I don't have the bandwidth and I, maybe I do have the bandwidth, but I don't want to use it for that. That's right. Yes. Yeah. And I love the nuance of that, Natalie, right? Which again, I think is kind of piggybacks off what we were talking about last time about not operating the binary, but just to have so, to create, you are intentionally, deliberately creating so much space for yourself mm-hmm. to think and feel and discern. And it doesn't have to be all or nothing. And it doesn't right. have to be good or bad. Like, right. Yeah, to just give yourself so much permission and freedom to intentionally choose who gets your energy and how much of it and to what extent. I just love all the layers of nuance and complexity there because it just creates so much freedom. Yeah, and I think one of the things I've been trying to be mindful of is it feels like when we're on this liberatory path, like we're working on our own self-liberation, is that sometimes I look at other people and I kind of have empathy for them of like that they're trapped in some yeah. ways. Oh, yeah. It like they're stressed out, they're in pain, they're suffering, and and it's their own work to get free, right? Like I can't do that. And I and I I know that if they were on the anti-racism journey, it would help them get free. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet I can't force them to do that, I can only like know from my own personal experience being on this anti-racism journey has helped with my own liberation. Yes. Yes. And that's been, that's been such a struggle. You know, I've talked about with you and I think on here too, that I I come from a long line of codependence. (laughs) So for me to like really know it in my bones that I can't help someone on their journey necessarily. Mm You know, I can't force what I think would be helpful for them. That's like not my role or responsibility. <laughs> that's right. a real struggle for me. It's something I'm constantly working on. But that's when I love this idea of creating systems because then I don't have to tell somebody this is what you should be doing or this is better for you. If I can create systems and invite people in to this new system, this new way of being, that creates equity, which then creates liberation, which creates Mm -hmm. joy. Like I don't have to convince them what their work is or not, or what they should be doing or not. I just have to invite them into this new system that is gonna sound and is, and should be really appealing for them because it gets everybody free. Yeah. But they get to discover that on their own. 
I don't yeah. have to convince them of anything. Yeah, though. absolutely. You know? Yeah. It's like that. Yeah, absolutely. That's so fucking cool. <laughs> yeah. And to recognize that there are people who will struggle with our own joy, right? Yeah. Like our own freedom, right? Like I feel like yeah. like some of the and some of it is like subtle comments like your standards are too high or like you change too quickly or whatever but it's like for me it's like I'm like what am I going to do with this one wild precious life that I have yeah. like am I going to wait around or if I can make a move like if I'm not like 100% or even 90 80% joy with what I'm doing in terms of work I'm going to make a change yeah. right because particularly living in a black queer body um like that stress living in my bones isn't gonna isn't gonna help me right and so just thinking about like some people I just have to say I wish you well yeah right? um and like not stop that from living my unapologetic life that's right and and that's so brave and wise and all the things and I've certainly been there myself and it's so hard. Yeah. <laughs> um, do you, I guess I'm, I guess that's more of a question because I know you're in it right now and that you're clear about it and it's super aligned, which makes it easier. Right. But do you still experience the difficulty in that of like, I wish you oh, well, yeah. or you have to take up less space in my life now, or I'm going to give you less energy now. Yeah. I mean, I definitely feel there's like some grief, some sadness, like people like, you know, Chris and I have been married for almost 23 years. So I think about like people who I've known for 25 years of my life and, and thinking, well, um, like, how do I honor the sadness of it? But also, um, like, make sure that I get free and I don't get weighed down because, you know, the brain could tell stories. My brain could start to tell me stories of like, well, maybe you could do this and maybe you could do that. But all of that would be like, for me at this point would be taking care of white people. Yeah. Right. Like, because what I think I'm reacting to, which I don't even think I would have had the language for even five years ago is what they are resisting is my unapologetic blackness and my unapologetic queerness. Like that's what they're resisting, even though they would not say that that is what they are resisting, but like the words that they are using, which they're not using directly to me, I'm hearing it through. Chris, right, is, but, like, that's how I interpret it, and, like, if you're not on this journey with me, like, you're not even close to us being able to talk about that, uh, because you're living in a, in a place where, if if I even brought that up, it would be, like, all of the mainstream language of polarizing, and you're making it a race thing, but it's always a race thing for me, Right. right, like, and so the fact that it's never a race thing for you, we're in like totally different universes. That's right. That's right. And this thing about like, I'm willing to listen and learn and offer grace, as long as you're willing to do the same for me. And if you're not, right. I'm not, I'm not cutting you out. Right. Like you're just, I'm acknowledging reality, which is Mm -hmm. that you're not willing Mm-hmm. To, to meet with me somewhere in in this huge vast middle ground that like right. I'm willing to venture into with you and so yeah. yeah yeah I don't know if I've ever said it here that like a large part of my journey of the past year has been that too many white people have broken my heart like in this past year and so I think for me that was part of I can already feel it like 
that choking up is like, that was part of why I needed to make some changes was because it's like, um, it's hard not to take white apathy personally, right? And, um, and so then it's like, well, well, how do I keep going and pivot because white people have been breaking black people's hearts since the beginning of the United States, right? And so how do I find white people who are amazing to hang out with and work with and be in relationship with and hold that there will always be white people who will break my heart and there will be amazing white people who want to be part of black liberation. Yeah. So, yeah, that's, that's my story right now. So, yeah. So I'm so glad you're not one of those white people who breaks my heart. (laughs) Oh, glad too. I'm glad too. I, and if I ever do, uh, I hope I'm, I, I really don't think I'll ever break your heart, but even if I injure it, I always want to know because yeah. I always want to listen and learn and do better. But, um, yeah. and yeah. I think that there aren't enough of these kinds of authentic relationships where people are letting people know that they're, they're hurting them, right. Or that they're deeply disappointed and that there's, you know, that it could be different if people were willing to do the work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think about how many black women I've heard in like panels or discussions who basically say they don't want to mess with white people. Like they might work with them or whatever, but, and, and I just think about why don't more white people care, right? And why don't they want to have more intimate relationships with people who are different than them? Um, yeah, that's what I think about a lot. And I'm so glad that we moved to a place where my kids can have so many people who look like them around them and they can build like that culture and that resilience before they become adults and go out in the world and figure out, you know, what their life is going to be about. Right. Right. And yeah, I mean, I feel like we could talk about our neighborhoods and communities forever, but like, I feel the exact same way in reverse. I'm so glad we live in a community where my, my children's closest friends are black and brown people and black and brown families. Um, because I feel like you don't have to change hearts and minds mm-hmm. when, when difference is just your day-to-day norm. Right. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, my God, we could, I just feel like we could talk about that forever. Um, but something that you said about white apathy and like, why, why aren't more white people just interested in doing this work? And I can, I can only speak for me, but I think, I think part of the importance of this conversation, even, and just like joy is that I think the work is so easy to hear it as like, you need to, you need to deconstruct and dismantle systems of oppression. And like, you need to dismantle all the oppressive systems inside of you. And then you need to do it out there. And yes, yes, (laughs) that is all true. And I think the racial reckoning of the summer of 2020, what I see in, in what I've seen in my own journey and in so many white people, it's been like just this, there's one way to do this, right? There's just one, and which is crap. 
that's right. that's white supremacy. That is white supremacy coming through, right? Um, and if people could understand, if white progressive folks who want to do this work could understand that if you're doing it out of perceived obligation or white guilt or because you should, because that's what a good person does. Like, I mean, okay, maybe some work is getting done in there. Like (laughs) people have different layers of motivation, but the deeper stuff comes from understanding genuinely, not just in this like intellectual, quoting Martin Luther King Jr. kind of way that like, my liberation is intimately tied to yours. And like, mm-hmm. how do we how do we sit with that? And how do we understand that? And how do we find an inroad that feels joyful and exciting and inspiring? And, and it doesn't have to be in this binary of like, well, now you're selfish because it's not about you. Oh, the amount of times I've heard white people say that to each other. Yeah. If white progressive people could really kind of sit with that. I feel like that's where it changed things for me. Yeah. That's where it got deeper in my journey. So I don't know. I just said a lot, but yeah, I I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, I think the white progressive people have a lot of work to do and they don't recognize that they have to do a lot of work because they don't realize how insidious colorblind racism is. And And they're too busy pointing at like overt racist people. Yes. I was running this workshop last night or doing this consultation last night with this predominantly white space and they want to come up, they want to make their um, community more inclusive because they tend to cater to like a white middle-class environment. What was really powerful, it was one of those workshops that I really enjoy because we're getting into like how do we embody this? How do we make this practically happen? Which is, it feels so different than like anti-racism 101. Mm-hmm. And, um, and one of the powerful things is we were talking about um, like making an agreement that says that we, um, we respect pronouns and like names and all the stuff. And, and so I, I said, like, if you're going to, give this to your community, you should embed it in like why, right? Because some people are living lives in which they never hear about pronouns. They never hear that this is an issue because they don't have any proximity to, you know, people who are different than them. And I, and I said something like uh, in this space and in this community, we, um, we acknowledge that gender is fluid, right? And that's why we uh, use people's pronouns, blah, 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 or we, we asked people's pronouns. And one of the women, white women, she took a risk and said, um, I don't actually believe that gender is fluid. And like at a deeply moral place, I like, um, and so because she was so honest, I was able to like create a bridge for her, right. To say like, you can still believe that. And we can still work on pronouns. And like, I forget, like I said something that was like a minute or long, but whatever I said helped her soften to be able to hold the space of both and. Mm. And so we were able to write an agreement that said, whether we believe or recognize that gender is fluid, we respect pronouns and we accept transgender and non-binary people. Like, and so it was like, yay, like this is more wow. of the work that has to get done, right? Is that 
we don't, I don't need to change your heart and mind. I just need you to do the policy, right? Like you can believe whatever you want. And can you still respect people's pronouns, respect people's genders? And that's it. Right. And so I feel like that's the work I feel like the United States needs to do is we don't yes. great if you all change your hearts and minds. Yeah. And I know that there are multiple truths, right? And religion has a huge part in some of this stuff. And we don't have to oppress people. And I appreciated that she could say, yes. and I can get down with the pronouns. Like, I want to respect you. Yeah. Right. And it's like, yeah, that's what it's all about. Respecting other people. It's not all about you. That's right. And the, oh, that is such a beautiful moment, Natalie, because you're helping them create a system that creates equity right. and safety, right? right? And just by being a part of that system, right. does over time that change her heart and mind? Right. 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 And I would say probably, right? Yeah. And so... And so like this idea, like that's going to take time, but right. And, and I could hear all the fear, right. Of like, well, how are we going to change the culture? How are we going to get these leaders to like do this? And it's like, well, this is what we're aspiring to. We're aspiring to it. And eventually if you keep doing this, eventually it will spread. That's right. That's right. And it's so and I think this is where some of the apathy comes up when white people focus so much on everybody else. What are you doing? How are you? Are you doing this? And I want to be in like, there's a room, obvious, multiple truths. Of course, we as white people need to be challenging each other. And if that is all you're doing, instead of looking inward to say, what am I doing every single day? in my own tiny little systems, in my own ecosystem, in the system of my family, in the system of my workplace, in the system of my community, what am I personally doing to create systems that build and increase equity, inclusion, and diversity? Then like, what am I doing, right? Um, because that we talked about it, I think in the last podcast, sometimes people just need a minute and like, how, how can we be less, how can we just make room for that, right? Mm -hmm. They're not allowed to do harm while they need a minute. Right, yeah. But can't, can we just like let, just loosen up and just like mm -hmm. create a little bit more wiggle room for people right. to join us, even if they're right. slower? <laughs> right, yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think about, I tried to think later, it's like, what did I do in this workshop that allowed people to say different things really I mean right because I think I invited like the rebellious part of them into mm. the room right because that they represent a larger community and I want to hear what the community is going to react to and I think like there's too much politeness yeah right? like that people will say whatever they need to say or say nothing right but inside they're churning right and I think like this idea of like the, bringing the body into the room Right. And like she was able to say, like, oh, I can feel myself getting really warm and like mm. I'm going to take a risk. Right. And then after she had said it and we had chatted, she was able to say, oh, I can feel my body calming down. So like even bringing the body into the room of like it's not just a head thing. It's like, oh, my body's telling me this is hard. Yeah. Right. And yet I'm going to take a risk in this relationship. And I felt closer to her afterwards. Of course. Right. And so like to invite more people to like take the risk to say the things 
but what do we need to do to regulate each of our own systems? Because yes. in that moment, I was regulated enough that I could be compassionate and hold the multiple truths. I'm sure there are times in which it would be harder for me to hold room for something I fundamentally don't believe, right? And yet, if we're working towards the same end goal, I can yes. hold space for that. Yes. Oh, yes to all of that, right? It, this, yes, this work specifically with white people who want to be allies, co-conspirators, it just, there is so much, I think, moral superiority that comes up for people. And I think it's well-intentioned because they, we want the same things. And we believe so strongly in this stuff that it's, I think it's really easy to get fired up and slip. And then when we're fired up, we know as psychologists, right? When we're fired up and our stress response goes up, it's we immediately default to the binary and it's us versus them. And we're like, we're ready to fight a retreat. But right, how can we just breathe into just being in these moments with people and being curious and compassionate? And again, I multiple truths, not allowing folks to do harm, but getting curious about what they're saying and figure out where is the bridge? Where is the middle ground? Where can we sit in this messy, messy middle together? so that we both take a step forward whether, rather than each of us retreating, mm -hmm. you know? And, and now have we done more harm toward them joining us on this journey than how can we accommodate a little bit um, rather than expect perfect assimilation 100% of the time? Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I would say like, I would probably have these similar conversations with people who look like me right? Like various different black, brown, indigenous, Asian, multiracial, Latina individuals, because I think like that white supremacy culture, that colonizer mentality lives in you regardless of your skin pigmentation, right? Regardless of your racial identity. Like I know plenty of people of color who are not doing the work of liberation, right? Like they are surviving, they are assimilating, they are accommodating, yeah. um, they're caught up in colorblindness or like they have unhealed racial stress and trauma. So like I, I always think about like when sometimes I'm doing anti-racism workshops and the people of color in the room or the people of the global majority in the room say like, I'm not sure why I'm here, right? And, and in my mind, it's like, well, you also have work to do, right? And um, I always think about Ken Hardy, how he talks about like the the role of people of color, people from the marginalized group is to find their voice, mm -hmm. right? And in so many of those workshops that tend to be white centered, the people of color haven't found their voice, yeah. right? It's either not safe for them. Um, they don't think it's gonna be any different. It's gonna harm them more or um, they don't, they haven't built the muscles right. to like actually talk about this stuff and like heal from it. It's yeah. Yeah. So, ah, oh, so complicated, but that's exactly why I love these conversations because I feel like these conversations, when we get them in 90 second sound clips, like we've mm -hmm. talked about, or, yeah. you know, they just, it's so complicated and nuanced. And I love that we can speak to so many of those different layers rather than it just being this 
soundbite or the, I don't know, the message that is so often given because it's, it's so layered. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I think so, like a lot of what I've been thinking in the last month or so is like, is it really possible that I can just choose joy? Mm-hmm. Like as many times as I want, I can just choose joy. Right. And some of that has to do with a little bit of privilege. And some of that has to do with, I'm willing to do what I need to do to bring more joy into my life. Mm-hmm. Even though that might come at a cost because there's some people who are really not going to like that. So. Yeah. Right. And how do you stay anchored in that? Right. Because it's right. so easy for me, at least it's really easy to just constantly fall back asleep. Um, and, and feel like I'm, I'm, I just have to do what I'm supposed to do, or I have to make people half happy and um, coming back to joy, coming back to things that feel really values aligned that, um, that I matter too, that like there's, there's, we can meet each other in the middle, but if you're not willing to meet me in the middle, then I have to keep, that I have to keep choosing me, right? Mm-hmm. It's so easy to not do that. Um, yeah. So I, for me, it's been really, I think I shared with you months ago that like April and May are just brutal for me because of baseball and softball. Um, but I've been so intentional about getting back to my like morning spiritual practices because that's the only way mm-hmm. I can stay really awake and deliberate and conscious in all of these complicated and nuanced Mm. things and stay grounded, right? And what's important and my values. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, joy in the last couple of weeks has been starting to do Zumba again. Like the little things, right? It doesn't have to be the huge life things. It can just be like, I wanna dance. I wanna dance in community with people. Mm. And like, that's bringing me joy. So it can be the little things too. Oh, I love that. I love that. That's. You know, I made that a goal for myself. I have a, a this one woman I do like accountability stuff with every month. Um, and that was one of my goals. And it's the only goal I haven't made probably. Oh. Yeah. God, Zumba. I used to do Zumba all the time. We should do Zumba sometime together. That would be uh, so I know. If only we were closer. You know, but that's a good point, right? That like it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be deep or it doesn't have to be a big thing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that's one way to just stay embodied and stay awake. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I love oh. that. Oh, always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. That's a good place to end. Yes, it is. All right. See you next time. Yeah, take good care. Bye. Bye. Bye.